So we are, as Daniel just said, we are in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. We've made it to a point in the Gospel of John where we're going to really look at the last big event before the Passion Week begins. The Passion Week is the last week of the life of Christ leading up to his crucifixion. Each day in the Passion Week has a significant part of the story. And so this is really the last thing to happen in the Gospel of John before that begins. And so uh, last week, um, we looked at kind of the aftermath of the, um, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Like you would think that everybody was super excited and like, this Jesus guy is awesome, let's get behind him. And a lot of people did, but the religious leaders didn't. The religious leaders were worried about uh, losing their position, losing their power, losing their influence. And we saw last week how even through Caiaphas, the chief priest, he says, man, we need to kill this guy. It would be better to go ahead and just kill this guy than to lose our whole nation. And God says that prophetically he was speaking about the death of Jesus, not just for the nation of Israel, uh, but for all the children of God who scattered abroad. And so after that, um, what happens after the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, Jesus and his disciples, they depart for Ephraim to get some time away. To, ref, to refuel, and I think in a lot of ways for Jesus to prepare his heart for that final week. And it's out of that time away that they come back to Bethany, the place where uh, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. That's, that's where we are today in chapter 12. So we're going to begin with verse 1 with these words. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. So as you can imagine, this was a big event, caught the attention of a lot of people. Lazarus is somewhat of a celebrity. And so as Jesus and his disciples come back to Bethany, this big dinner celebration is gonna be thrown for Jesus and for the disciples and for Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They're all, they're all gonna be invited to this. And what we're gonna see today um, is this amazing act, this sacrificial act of deep devotion and worship from Mary towards Jesus and how that for us describes what we're supposed to be doing when we gather together in this place once a week, but also um, how it impacts our daily lives. Before we get there, I was thinking of um, my own experiences in life and some of, some of the moments where I can look back and, and, and see acts of devotion towards me. Uh, first thing that comes to mind, I think a lot about like my mom. I was raised by a single mom and there are plenty of stories I could share with you that would display her devotion towards me. For example, I remember her waking me up at 3 a.m. one time. I was about 12 years old and I really wanted to go fishing. And the best time to go catfishing is at night. And so she woke me up at 3 a.m. We went to a local grocery store to the Kroger's and got a bunch of chicken livers because that's what you use for catfishing out on the river. And she took me out to the river fishing in the middle of the night. And I just remember that experience and her devotion towards me as a son. Also makes me think about my marriage and, and those, those moments of just beautiful devotion expressed from, from my wife, Hallie, towards me. And um, she doesn't know I'm, about, I'm gonna share this, so I'll ask for her forgiveness later. But um, so Hallie and I, we dated for six months and then we were engaged for six months. And the first couple of months of our dating relationship was a little tumultuous, a little on again, off again. And she wasn't quite sure she was ready to settle down for an older guy. And I was at a place in life where I'm like done with just the, the dating scene. And so I can remember a specific moment for me anyway, where I, I knew from that point forward, I wanted to marry her. And it happened in, in a late night experience where she was living uh, in Stephenville, going to college there. And I lived in Weatherford, had a roommate, was, doing, was working. And I was actually serving here as a worship pastor at the time. 
and I'll never forget her waking me up in the middle of the night. She drove, something was just bothering her. It was on her heart and her mind that she needed to talk about right then. And it was, we didn't, you know, she wasn't gonna text me. I didn't even have a cell phone at the time. And so rather than just, just kind of harboring that, she drove in the middle of the night from Stephenville all the way to Weatherford. Because I had a roommate, she comes to the window and starts tapping on the window to wake me up because she doesn't want to wake up my roommate. It was like, this is Romeo Juliet kind of stuff, right? Like, so I'm like, wait, oh my gosh, what is that noise? And I hear her voice and she's like, Jason, can you let me in? I need to talk with you. And, and, right? and so you think, well, oh, this is gonna be this amazing romantic night where they count the stars and recite poetry. And no, 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 she just, she needed to share something that was on her, it was a burden on her heart. If you know my wife, like she's like, if it's, if it's weighing on her heart, she's gonna tell you about it. And she's like, I just need to get this off my chest. And then she drove back to Stephenville. Like I had to go to class the next day and I had to go to work the next day. And I remember thinking like, man, I can marry a girl like that who cares that much about me and that much about our relationship and this beautiful expression of devotion. I wonder what you think about when you think about these moments of devotion in your life. Maybe it was a parent towards you, or maybe if you are a parent, you've seen, you found yourself doing things you thought you never would do uh, because of your devotion towards your children, or maybe it's something that you've witnessed or experienced in your marriage. And so really what we're going to look at today is this beautiful expression of devotion from Mary towards Jesus and, and how it really sets um, the tone and sets the pace for the church and how we are to devote our lives to Christ as well. So we're at this now, um, we're six days from the Passover. That's a really important timestamp because that means this is taking place either Friday night or Saturday um, before. So within seven days, Jesus is gonna be at the cross. Okay, so we're right here on the cusp of this final entry into Jerusalem, Jesus cleansing the temple, sharing the Passover meal in the upper room, instituting communion, going to the garden to pray, getting sold out by Judas, being arrested, false trial, accused, and then crucified. Like it's all about to go down, six days out. And he's come back to Bethany. And we know from the other gospels that he's actually gonna be invited to the house of Simon the leper. We really don't know a ton about this guy. We just know that he heard Jesus was coming to town. He's like, dude, we're hosting him at my house. Everybody's invited. And so he throws this big dinner party, invites Jesus and the disciples. And of course, Lazarus, I mean, he's quite the celebrity. We need Lazarus to be here. Mary and Martha need to be here. And he throws this big dinner party. Verse two tells us, so they gave a dinner for him there and Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And this is kind of setting up the scene. Now I want to stop right here because so the gospels, the other gospels account, uh, give an account of this same story, but the gospel of Luke tells us about another time where Jesus is together with Mary and Martha and he's actually in their home, totally different story where Martha's in the kitchen, busy serving, and she's getting a little bit upset because Mary's not helping. And she comes to Jesus, just, just really frustrated. Jesus, tell my sister, get up off the floor and get in here and help me serve. And so I'm reading this and I read Martha served. I'm like, that, that makes sense. That sounds like Martha. But then I read about Lazarus. He's just at the table reclining. I kind of want to just step into the story right here and walk up to Lazarus and kind of whisper, hey, buddy, you might want to go help your sister because things are not going to go good. Like I can already feel her blood pressure rising. She's in there serving. You're out here sitting at the table reclining with Jesus. And that's the scene. But then after this in verse three, we read that Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now this may have no bearings on what this is. So let me just give you some. So this idea of nard, it was this 
um, this extract, this ointment extract that came from the root of this kind of a honeysuckle-like bush. But it was found um, high up in the Himalayan mountains in North India. And so there was this really um, labor-intensive process to get this nard. And so the tribal people would go up into the mountains and, and, and harvest the roots from this plant, bring it back down to the village and process it and press it and get this ointment out of it. And they would collect it and then they would transport it from India to places like Judea exporting it and I'm sure having to pay like an import tax. And by the time it gets to Judea, to a place like Bethany, this is super expensive. Matter of fact, we're gonna read that uh, in just a minute that this particular amount, like she had like, a, like a, a pound of it was worth about 300 denarii, which was about 300 days wages. So it's about three quarters of a year. So if a person made like $60,000, this is about $45,000 just to give you some reference. So it's about three quarters of an annual year's salary here. This is no small thing. This wasn't like she just went to the essential oils cabinet and grabbed out some eucalyptus, you know, frankincense stuff. Like this was, this was worth a lot of money. More than likely this was a gift to her or something she had saved for for a long time. And so Mary brings this gift out and here's what she does with it. She anoints the feet of Jesus with it. Now, this is a big deal because this would have been something that if you were gonna anoint somebody who was alive, you would, you would place it on their head. You would not waste it on somebody's feet. That's how precious this is. So we're, we're talking about a culture that didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't get to bathe every day. And so things like perfume, as you can imagine, were really, really rare and valuable. And if a guest came into your house and you were gonna share it with them, you would anoint their head with something like this and it would give way to this, this amazing fragrance that was really refreshing. But that's not where she puts it, is, is it? She actually puts this on Jesus's feet, the dirtiest part of his body. Then she proceeds to do what? She wipes his feet with her hair. And then the house was filled with fragrance of perfume. This is a big deal because she takes the place of the most humble servant in the party, the place of the person who washes feet. The person, so imagine this, if you were at a dinner party in the first century, the host of the party would make sure somebody was hired to be there to wash the, the, the guest's feet. And at some point in the evening, usually early on, everybody's reclined at the table, the servant would make his or her way around the room and wash the feet of the guests. And this was such a lowly position. If you were a guest, you wouldn't even stop and acknowledge this person. You would just keep on talking, talking to the host, sharing stories. This person would come by, you wouldn't even acknowledge them. You certainly wouldn't thank them or tip them. It was just the lowest of lowest positions. And so Mary, one of the guests takes the position of the servant. And we're still not done describing this act of devotion because then what does she do? She undoes her hair. For a first century Jew, this is the pride of the woman. Much like the beard was the pride of the man, women kept their hair up, keeping it clean. They had coverings over their hair. So she's taking off her covering. She's undoing her hair, taking the place of a servant, taking her most valuable possession. And then she's washing the feet of Jesus. And we begin to realize how significant this act of worship really was. This was a sacrificial act of devotion and worship towards Jesus. And if this were the story stopped, we go, wow, that's amazing. I'm inspired. But that's not where it stops. 
Judas enters into the story. Verse four tells us Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now that sounds very altruistic. Sounds very compassionate, Judas. But verse six goes on to say, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was, what was put in it. So we know what Judas's motives were. He's using the poor kind of as, a, as an excuse to say, man, let's go, let's go cash this in and put it in the money bag. Why? Because he was constantly dipping his hand into the money bag. He was in charge of keeping up with the books. But he brings up a really good point though, doesn't he? Despite and regardless of what his intentions were, that's a valid question. Why take this very expensive thing and put it on Jesus's feet when we could have sold it? And think about how many people we could feed, right? With 300 days wages. So it brings up a valid point. Should this perfume have been used as an expression of sacrificial devotion and worship, or should it have been used to feed the poor? And what we might think is that Jesus would say, you know what, that's a great idea, Judas. Let's do that instead. Hey, Mary, stop what you're doing. Let's go. Because he was one known to have compassion. He was one known to stop what he was doing and feed like 5,000 people in one particular setting. But that's not what he says. Verse seven, Jesus said, leave her alone. Let her continue what she's doing so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So not only was she anointing his feet with oil in this moment, kind of a preparation for the cross, he said, she's gonna need the rest of that because I'm getting ready to die and she's gonna need it at my burial. And then he says this, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Which might on the surface lead us to believe that Jesus doesn't care about the poor. Hey, I want all the attention. I want all the fame. I want all the glory. I want all the worship. Nah, don't worry about the poor. There's always been poor people around. What's interesting is this, this phrase from Jesus is actually an allusion to a commandment in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament where God's people are commanded to always have open hands of generosity towards those in need. God's people are always commanded Old Testament, New Testament. Be ready to be generous with anybody in need. And so we read this from Jesus. We're like, man, what's going on here? And I think what would be helpful is to look at another instance in Matthew 22 where Jesus is cornered uh, by some religious leaders and they ask Jesus to give them the greatest commandment. You may be familiar with this story. Jesus, tell us what's the most important commandment because what they expect is for him to give a commandment and for them to say, oh, but you left out this one. So Jesus responds in Matthew 22. He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Okay, sounds like that's what Mary's doing, right? But then look at what he says. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, what's interesting here is we're gonna see that what Jesus is saying is like, she's doing a good thing. She's loving the Lord her God with all her heart, all her mind, all her soul, and all her strength. But here's what's gonna happen to Mary when she does that. 
she's gonna love her neighbor well. He's, Jesus isn't saying, hey, forget the poor, they don't matter. He's not saying, hey, forget your neighbor, your neighbor doesn't matter, he's saying what? Let's start with the greatest commandment because that's what Mary's doing. Judas, you wanna go to the second commandment, skip the first commandment because you're a thief. But Mary has chosen the good thing. I think it's also helpful to look at uh, Jesus's response to Martha in that Luke 10 story where Martha's busy doing all this stuff. She's like, Jesus, tell my sister to get in here and help me. And in Luke 10, 41, we read Jesus's response to Martha when he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. The word portion is a really interesting word. It really means literally what you think it means. If you take a pie and you cut it up into a bunch of pieces, the piece that you take or the piece of your serve, that's your portion. Okay, so that's the idea here, but on a much larger scale. The idea is that as we navigate the world around us, there are a lot of things we can latch onto, things we can choose to find value in. He says, Martha, you're worried about a bunch of stuff, but your sister has chosen, right, the portion that matters, right? Everything can't mean everything to you, right? You can't love everything with all your heart. You've got to choose something. And in that instance, what Jesus is saying is Mary has chosen the correct portion. She's made the right thing, the main thing. It's interesting because that word portion gets used a lot in the Old Testament as well. I think about the Psalms. These are just a few examples from Psalms, Psalm 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist is saying, I choose God. He is my portion. Of all the things I could find value in in the world, I choose him. In Psalm 119, 57, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Psalm 142, five, I cry to you, O Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. See what Mary's doing in this moment is she's saying, listen, it's not that I don't care about the poor, so I'm making Jesus my portion. He is my main thing. Of all the things I could be concerned about right now, I could be concerned about, concerned about the poor. I could be concerned about the lame. I could be concerned about a lot of things right now, but my concern, my heart goes out to one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus. He is my portion. Now listen, this may sound a little bit counterintuitive or counterproductive in terms of what we're supposed to be doing, but here's the beautiful thing that happens. If we go back to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, make him your portion, here's the beautiful thing that happens. As an overflow from that, you will love your neighbor well. Your devotion to the Lord, your sacrificial worship is the well that you dig from which flows streams of life into everything else. There are plenty of busy bodies in the churches around the world today. But here's what happens if you've ever been a person who serves and serves and serves and pours out and pours out and pours out and you don't draw from a well, you get burnout, you get worn out, you get bitter, you get frustrated, you get tired and you quit serving. And what will happen to your serving the poor? You'll start off like a bottle rocket and you'll burn out. And next thing you know, the poor are still poor. The hungry are still hungry. The brokenhearted are still brokenhearted. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, 
the well from which you will draw strength to do those things is me. Make me your portion and you will love everybody else better. I want you to think about that. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first, right, you know it. The only reason we love the world around us well is because he first loved us. That's why we love our neighbors well. That's why we love our spouses well. That's why we love the poor well, because what? We draw from that well of being loved by Jesus. Couple things. That's why what we do as a church in this room is so important. We, we call this gathering and worship. What are we talking about? This is where we come together as God's people and we anoint his feet with oil. This is where we come together to, to bow our hearts before him in submission, to exalt his name, to say, Jesus, you are my portion. Yes, there are a lot of other things we do as a church. I love the way that you loved on one another over the last week and a half, the way you served one another the way many of you were engaged in loving for the poor, those who were in need, those who didn't have electricity, those who didn't have water, a lot of beautiful expressions of love and compassion towards people. But that comes out of this. This is where we anoint the Lord with oil. We join our hearts together. We join our voices together. We bring our offerings. We, we offer up a, this, this sacrifice to the Lord. We bring our best and we lay it at his feet. That includes not just our possessions, but our heart posture. Mary didn't just walk in the room and go, hey, Jesus, here's some expensive perfume. She bowed down. She took the lowest position. She took her, her hair, her prized possession, her most expensive possession, and she washed the Lord's feet. Here's what happens, church. When we set Jesus as the greatest object of our affection, he recalibrates our heart towards everything else. When you love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, he will recalibrate your love towards your spouse. He will recalibrate your love towards friends. He will recalibrate your love towards your children towards other church members. And listen, he will recalibrate your heart towards the poor. The poor you're always gonna have with you. You need a love and a compassion that doesn't end. You can go out with this 300 days wages worth of perfume and bless the poor for a moment. But listen, that well will run dry. That well will run dry. Church, this is not just a cliche or a fancy way to word things. We love the world better when we love Jesus the most. I'm telling you, the most earth-shattering, revolutionary things you could apply to your marriage is when you love Jesus more than you love your spouse, you will actually love your spouse better. When you love Jesus more than you love your children, I see the tension, moms. You're like, oh, like, yeah. You will actually love your children better. You will love your friends better. You will love the poor better. When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength, 
then the second commandment will flow out of that and you will love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Mary has chosen the good portion. If you guys will devote yourself to me the way she's devoted to me, listen, the poor will have no trouble in this world. Now, this is where I get involved in in politics. You're like, whoa. Like, I don't care what your political bent is, where you come from. There are enough churches in the United States that if every church in the United States was fully devoted to Christ, there would be no hungry and no poor among us. Just telling you. I don't care where you align politically and all that. If, if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all the, there is enough resources in the church, in the United States, probably to feed the world, but certainly those in the United States. There would be no welfare. There would be no food stamps. There would be no one going without. But listen, we can't just go out there and try to conquer the world. Jesus says, no, you have to choose the good portion. You'll run out of steam. You'll run out of resources. See, the problem isn't that we, we need another fundraiser to go feed the poor. The problem is what? Our hearts have to be fully devoted to Christ. He has to be your portion. Of all the things we could be known for in this community as a church, I think that the main thing we must be known for is a church that is passionately in love with Jesus. Because if we get that right, then we'll be known for everything else we need to be known for. And so I think this is a very timely message for us as a church because for a couple of reasons. So next week, we're gonna start um, a sermon series where we walk through um, how you are gifted and called by God to serve in his kingdom. And we're gonna spend about three weeks talking about that. We're gonna be bringing up opportunities to serve within the church that you may not even be aware of. And I fully expect God to work in you and potentially call some of you to get involved in serving. Along with that, we're about four weeks out from opening our new building. And with that is gonna come a whole lot of just exciting new things to do. I think it's so critical church, listen, that we anchor ourselves here. Like it doesn't matter if a hundred people show up or a thousand people show up. It doesn't matter how many of you sign up to serve in kids ministry and greeting ministry and hospitality and AVL and worship team. Like if this is not our main thing, the rest of it will be gone. It won't last. Like this is why it's so important. Some of you have asked like, hey, once we move into the new building, will we go to one service? Like we'll have plenty of room. I'm like, no, we won't. Why? Because while we're in this room, laying ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Our kids are in the other buildings. Volunteers are serving those kids and those volunteers need to have the opportunity to be at the feet of Jesus as well. So we'll start off with two services. Those of you who serve, especially in kids, all the green shirts in the room, that's primarily for you. Yes, we could all fit in one room, but we don't want you to be pouring yourself out and not having that opportunity to come and to draw from that well of devotion to Christ. And so we'll start off with two services which actually will seem like a breath of fresh air compared to three. But that's why, because this matters. And so before we start a serving series, before we open a new building, before we start getting people into all these new serving roles, let us anchor our hearts here and let us choose the good portion. I wanna just stop and ask a couple of questions for you to think about as we wrap up. I want you to think about examples of things in your life that you are devoted to. What sacrifices are you making right now in life for the objects that mean the most to you? And by object, that could be a kiddo, it could be a spouse, but it could also be your career. You're making sacrifices. 
what are you making sacrifices for? And then I wonder, if we think about this, does this in any way describe your relationship with Christ? Are there things that you can point to right now where you're like, yes, I am sacrificing something of importance to me for him? It could be your time. It could be a lot of things. I want you to think about how your relationship with Christ ranks among the other relationships in your, in your life, your spouse, your kids included. Is he more important? Do you love him more than you love anyone or anything else? And then church, let's think about it. What would it look like for us to live out this level of devotion on a daily basis? To love Jesus the way Mary loves Jesus in this story on a daily basis. I'm gonna spend some time praying for us now and inviting our worship team back up. If you're here today and you want somebody to pray with you or talk with you, um, our elders have lanyards on. They'd be honored to do so. If you're watching from home and, and you really want someone to pray with you or you have a, a need in your life, like we want you to reach out through the app or email us, let us know how we can serve you. We're gonna spend some time praying together. Our worship team is gonna lead us in singing. And we're gonna respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this powerful example from Mary. On one, on one hand, God, we look at this and go, well, that's just kind of ridiculous to waste all that perfume on your feet. And so much good could have come out of that. And what we've learned, Jesus, is how backwards that is. That truly when we come to you and we offer our best and we lay it at your feet, that Father, our light in this world will shine even brighter. Our service to the poor will go on even further. That God, when we bow ourselves at your feet and we love you, we devote ourselves to you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, then Father, we truly will love our neighbors better. So Father, may Solid Rock become a church of Mary's. Followers who are constantly offering up our worship to you as a sacrifice. You are worth it. I pray now your Holy Spirit would move through this room, move through the hearts of those who are watching at home, speak to us, work in us. Father, we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.